0: The Terry Wilkerson Show, back from hiatus. We're going to give you your five-minute walk. We're going to talk some sports. All this today on The Terry Wilkerson Show. Good moment, America. How are you? I am Terry, and this is The Terry Wilkerson Show. My show, my rules, my way. We are back from our month-long hiatus, and we're going to start you out this week, it back a good old-fashioned segment. We're going to start off with your five-minute walk. Okay, the house plant-in-charge Joe Biden gave his State of the Union speech-slash-message to the Joint Session of Congress, which consisted of about 15 people, all masked and socially distanced, and the seven people who watched around the world. During this speech, he Basically gave a bunch of proposals, which when you sit down and actually use a pen, a piece of paper, calculator, or even your fingers, amounts to a $10 trillion spending proposal. On what? On, well, pretty much everything under the sun that does not benefit the country. But, hey, you know, it, he, he's the houseplant in charge, so he can essentially do what he wants. During this speech, he talked about the systemic racism problem we have in America and I think that's what he was talking about. He kind of babbled and got a little tired at the end there, like he was Roseanne Barr on Ambien. And Tim Scott, the Republican senator, gave a rebuttal, at which point he was basically ripped apart by Twitter and the media and referred to as Uncle Tim. But yet somehow it's supposed to be the left that are so tolerant and anti-racist. You know, yeah, that makes all the sense in the world. Tim Scott gave a fairly mediocre proposal. It wasn't a world beater. It wasn't like he was making himself the number one candidate for presidency, but he certainly, he certainly uh, gave a response. And of course, no matter how mild man it was, the media had to attack him, calling him again, uncle Tim, an obvious reference to uncle Tom. And we still have Biden as president and Kamala Harris sitting behind him, waiting for her opportunity on his show. Real time with Bill Maher. Bill Maher addressed several topics last week, and a couple of them I actually had to agree with, one of them being his feelings on cryptocurrency and how it's not really a reliable source of investment right now. Now, I had recently purchased a bunch of Dogecoin and sold them at, granted, significantly more than I paid for them, but honestly, I I got rid of it because I'm not very sold on crypto, and I'm no expert in stocks or investments by any stretch. I just don't know that I can put any faith in anything that doesn't have a physical backing. And I realize our monetary system right now has no physical backing. The United States Mint just keeps printing money, which, of course, is going to inflate it and devalue it. So we have no real backing on our money either. But certainly cryptocurrency does not have a backing. To me, you can tell me all about blockchain all you want. And if anybody out there is more of an expert in this than I am, which is pretty much anybody, Feel free to call into the show or contact me on the website and let me know why I'm wrong about this because I'd really like to be. I just don't think that I am. Marr also went on to explain that his issue with cryptocurrency also was the amount of computing required to actually maintain the cryptocurrency system and the amount of greenhouse gases and carbon emissions, the carbon footprint that's associated with all these computers. Okay, so I agreed with him for about five seconds and then his ultra libtard ways came out. He also went on to talk about how the millennial generation thinks it's so much smarter and intelligent, which are the same thing, really, than previous generations, and then went on to rip them about being a bunch of mindless pansies. That's my words, not his. So I agree with Bill Maher on a couple of things, but unfortunately he does not miss the opportunity to let the libtardia slip out for the entire world. Vice President Kamala Harris has officially been put in charge of the National Space Council. Yes, that is a thing, and yes, Vice President Harris is now in charge of it. According to senior administration officials, Harris' new role was confirmed on Saturday, writing in a tweet, As I've said before, in America, when we shoot for the moon, we plant our flag on it. I'm honored to lead our National Space Council. Harris intends to put her own personal stamp on the council, a senior administration official said. The official listed her personal priorities as STEM education, cybersecurity, supporting sustainable development of commercial space activity, diversity in the workplace, and advancing peaceful norms and responsible behaviors in space, among others. So basically, Kamala Harris wants absolutely nothing to do with the space program itself. She just wants to make sure that Tanahashi coats Coates is going to go to Mars. And four people were arrested during a Black Lives Matter rally in Louisville, Kentucky on Saturday following the Kentucky Derby. Now, there was um, a Black Lives Matter rally last year following the Louisville shooting of Breonna Taylor, and they did it again this year. They decided to have a Black Lives Matter rally a few minutes down the road from where the Derby was being held. It wasn't the only disruption. There was a plane that was flown above the Kentucky Derby yesterday. With a banner flying behind it that said, protect black women, divest from police. So we're apparently now going to use the Kentucky Derby as a political avenue. And if that doesn't tell you where we have gotten as a society, I really don't know what does. And that has been your five-minute walk. In a news of the weird segment, and this is coming out of uh, Houston, Texas, uh, apparently illegal drugs were hidden in breakfast foods and discovered by the TSA at the William P. Hobby Airport in Houston. Yeah, they were putting, you know, meth in burritos. Breakfast burritos were delicious, but officers were surprised to find crystal meth inside the one pictured, the TSA wrote. That's part of their Instagram, which if you don't follow the TSA Instagram, it can actually at times be hilarious. Apparently, the smuggling ring was discovered when an unidentified lump was found inside food during a routine X-ray screening of a carry-on luggage bag on April 2nd. The TSA officers asked to inspect it, and upon unwrapping the burrito, they discovered there was a dark object in the middle. The second X-ray of the burrito revealed that it was black tape and a large organic mass, which ended up becoming crystal meth. So, apparently the burrito wasn't good enough that, you know, they couldn't just eat it. It had to be stuffed with meth, which just tells you that when it comes to most food, you have to be on meth to eat fast food. Not that I know that this is fast food. And yes, I eat fast food, just not fast food burritos. So the Houston Police Department was called in. They determined the lump was crystal meth. And the person who was attempting to carry the burrito on board was arrested. We're smuggling crystal meth in burritos, and I'm pretty sure that's an indication that the end of civilization is on its way. According to a report from the Kingston, New Hampshire Police Department, a gender reveal party turned very, very sour. Uh, The Kingston Police Department indicated that 80 pounds of tannerite, were used as an explosive at a gender reveal party, and the reveal caused a massive explosion that could be felt as far as northern Massachusetts. Police have not yet decided on whether or not they're going to press charges, even though the blast shook homes for miles around. According to Kingston Police Chief Donald Briggs Jr., obviously, depending upon the amount of explosives they were using, it could be extremely dangerous. Amy Owen, a neighbor of... um, The offenders was quoted as saying, we live in a four family townhouse in Plaisto, and it shook our house so bad we thought somebody driven into our building. The kids all scrambled yelling earthquake before asking me what it was. This is not the first gender reveal party to go very, very bad. Uh, Gender reveal parties have um, generally caused issues. Most recently, two pilots were killed off the coast of Cancun, Mexico, when a pilot or when a plane who was doing a gender reveal, crashed into the water. Um, This is really where we're going. We have gender reveal parties that end up with explosions and plane crashings, and people wonder why they just... I don't think they make any sense whatsoever. And finally, there is being late to your own wedding, and then there is what happened to an unidentified man in central Java, Mangalang... I have absolutely no idea where that is, but it's in Indonesia. Um, the The groom and his groomsmen arrived at a house utilizing GPS to marry uh, his fiance Ulfa. They arrived at the house that the GPS took them to. They met with the the people in the house. They took their seats and met all the family and then found out that they were actually at the wrong house. Completely wrong house. There was a... Uh, a engagement party being held so that obviously they didn't feel like anything was wrong the entourage shook hands with the family exchanged offerings and took what they thought were their seats and then discovered that they were in fact in the absolute wrong place they ended up uh making the wedding on time but the bride herself also was busy she didn't even realize that the groom had not yet arrived she was still getting her makeup done from what i understand the uh the wedding went off without a of hitch other than, you know, the groom going to the wrong house. Uh, you, is that intentional? You know, hey, just but next time, just blame GPS. Okay. Um, if you work in retail or the service industry, you know, restaurant industry, anything like that, then you've probably dealt with this situation. There is five minutes to go before you close and a customer comes in because they absolutely have to find the right shade of eyeliner or, You're opening your restaurant in 15 minutes. You're trying to get everything ready. You're scrambling to get prepped for the day. And there's a party of 30 standing outside just waiting to get in with their noses pressed up against the glass. If you ask me, this is a seriously major malfunction in our society. We're an impatient society. We're impatient to the point where we feel that we're almost entitled to push other people's buttons and to make other people go out of their way to satisfy and satiate our needs. Society is supposed to be just that social. We're supposed to be people who actually, you know, get along with one another. But no, we've become so selfish, we've become so self-centered, and self-interested is a very different thing. But we've become so selfish and so self-centered that the idea that we should have to wait for a building to open before we can enter and get our hamburger is Absolutely absurd to us. The idea that, oh, wait, Target closes at 11. Well, that doesn't matter because I still have to do my shopping. And it's funny that in a world where everything is on demand, when we have DoorDash and we have Uber Eats and we have Amazon and we have. Uh, well, if you're in China, you have Ali Baba. It's funny in a world where everything is on demand that we still can still continue to believe that we are entitled to some type of special treatment simply because we're standing at the door at a certain time. Now, I understand if you close at 11 o'clock, then, yeah, you close at 11 o'clock. And if somebody is in there at, say, 1030 and they can't find the item they're looking for, then, yeah, it's not only your job, but it's probably the nice thing to do to help them try to find whatever it is they're looking for to get them out on time and so that you can finish your job. But when somebody comes in five minutes before, and you see employees getting a little bit irritated, I hate to break this to you folks, you're the fucking problem. If you have that level of insanity, if you have that level of selfishness that you think everybody needs to bend over backwards, and keep the store open while you search around not only for your eyeliner, but for whatever t shirt it is that you might have a whim to buy that day. Yes, you're the problem. It's an issue that has gone on forever and i'm not blaming it specifically on the millennial generation but i will say it seems to have gotten worse since the millennials have started getting their own credit cards their own cars and their own ability to drive to the store and get whatever they want mommy and daddy would never allow this generation to do this they would have whipped their asses and pulled them right out of the store but now that they can do it on their own this seems to be the thing it's an entitlement mentality it's not customer service there's a difference Customer service is, I'm here to help you find what you're looking for. I'm here to help you in whatever way I can. And yeah, I'm going to try to upsell you while you're here. That's customer service. Entitlement is, you work for me. No, I hate to break it to you. That person works for Target or Walmart or that restaurant, not for you. Their job is to help you, but they don't work for you. Stop treating people that way. You see it all the time in grocery stores when people get in line and they're yeah. Well, uh, I, I, I don't have the coupon, so you need to look it up. I don't have, Yeah. oh, well, you didn't tell me that I needed to have a special club card, so you need to find a way to make this happen. No, this is the type of entitlement that drives me up the wall, and it drives employees up the wall. And will we have a society right now where in the United States so many jobs were lost during the pandemic, and we now have more jobs than we have people who seem to be willing to work. And you wonder why, between the government handing out enough money to make it completely ridiculous for anybody to go back to work, and this entitlement mentality where you must do what I say, even though you don't work for me, you work for this company, I am your customer, I am your God, you wonder why so many people aren't going back to work. The big box, the physical brick-and-mortar retail and restaurant industries are dying left and right, not only because of the restrictions by the pandemic, but by the restrictions placed upon them by their own customers. Customers, and I am a customer of everything as well. I'm not saying that I am not guilty of it. I have done it, but I recognize it. We have to, as consumers... We have to stop being assholes. We have to start realizing that the people who work in these brick-and-mortar stores, the people who work in these restaurants and these department stores, the guy at the gas station, the guy at the 7-Eleven, or even the guy who's doing your plumbing, we have to understand that they're people too. They have individual rights. They have individual lives. And if you happen to work a 9-to-5, and you think that that kid who is working the cash register at Target, when it closes at 11 o'clock, that he doesn't want to be able to go home too, well, see, that's being a jerk-off. He has the right to get done on time, just like you do. If you want to bitch and complain about being able to leave at 5 o'clock when you're done, let the guy behind the counter at Burger King go home when his time is over. You can wait to get your facial cream until tomorrow morning. This, in this country, is a seriously major malfunction, and frankly, I am sick of it. And we're going to finish off today talking about a couple of things sports related. Number one, I have a coworker who tells me all the time that the Yankees suck and he knows I'm a huge Yankees fan, but honestly, at this point, I cannot disagree with him. You know, the Yankees right now are fourth in the American league East and they're absolutely intent. Brian Cashman is intent on keeping Gary Sanchez, Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron judge as the centerpieces of this team. I I don't understand why I don't get it. Number one, between Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, I'm pretty sure they're going to strike out more than the entire Yankees starting rotation is going to strike out other batters. I mean, you're almost guaranteed 400 strikeouts right there. Throw in Gary Sanchez, and you're adding in another 150 to another maybe 175. So, you know, you're looking at close to 600 strikeouts between three batters. And I realize the modern idea is, well, strikeouts don't matter, you know, modern analytics, bullshit. Strikeouts matter. Because you're not getting on base, you're not advancing runners, strikeouts matter. And when you strike out 200 times a year, there's no fucking way you should be making $25 million. Aaron Judge had an opportunity to be the next big thing. He's, to put it mildly, he failed. Giancarlo Stanton, I know he hit, you know, 50, 60 home runs that one year, the year before he came to the Yanks, I believe was 2017. Um, he, he strikes out 200 times a year, and when he does hit a home run, it's always a solo shot because nobody can get on base in front of him. And we're not even going to – I'm going – I was going to say I'm not even going to get into Gary Sanchez, but I'm going to. Brian Cashman needs to realize Kyle Higashioka is far better of a player. He's a far better catcher. He's more solid behind the plate. He can call a better game, and he's a better clutch hitter than Gary is. Now, Gary is one of those guys, you know, he was a 30-35 home run a year potential guy. And then he just started hitting on the interstate. You know, 176, 184, 195. The guy can't hit 200 to save his life. And he's another one. Oh, yeah. oh Gary Sanchez hits it out of the park. The Sanchino. Yeah, well, it's another solo shot. Which, when your pitching staff is giving up six, seven, eight runs a game, solo shots aren't going to win ball games. And I think Brian Cashman, it might be time for him to make some hard decisions, the biggest of which might be whether or not he needs to step aside. I really think it's Cashman's time to go. I don't don't ask me who can replace him. I don't know. I just think it's time for him to go. He built, he helped build that dynasty in the nineties. He helped build a lot of solid teams in the two thousands, but that's it. His time is over. You know, Aaron Boone, as a manager, I I was excited when he first was announced, but then it just felt like he wasn't going to fit, and I don't think he does fit the Yankees legacy. And it sucks because Aaron Boone's a nice guy. And especially when you go back and and look at the, the fucking savage routine from two years ago, when he went off on the home plate umpire about my guys are fucking savages in that box. That ended up giving me a little bit of respect for him. You know, I thought, okay, maybe that's the pump up this team needs. But sadly, they haven't followed it. I mean, there's no follow up. They've been just a bunch of strikeout machines who have spent all their time on the DL. It, it's just pathetic. I mean, the bullpen that was supposed to be world beaters is mediocre at best. Zach Britton is still on the DL, and now they just put Darren O'Day on the DL. I know it's the IL. To me, it's still the DL. You know, and having O'Day in the, the bullpen was a great thing because you have that sidearm, you know, bordering on higher submarine, which really confuses the hell out of hitters these days in this era of exit velo and... and uh, Launch angle—it's kind of hard with a sidearm slash high submarine pitcher. It's kind of hard to get a lift on a ball when it seems to be coming straight up. You know, it's—it's it's very difficult. A, a four seam fastball or a two seam fastball that hangs out over the plate—you could get the bat underneath that. You can't really do that with a submarine pitcher throwing you—you know—a a side armed eighty mile an hour change up. So O'Day was a great addition, but now he's on the DL for, quote, unspecified reasons. Maybe by now they've announced it. And, of course, Aroldis Chapman is the most unreliable closer in the league. The Yankees have a fairly good lineup. You know, Glaber Torres, well, okay, you know, Glaber defensively is still a mess, let's be honest. Clint Frazier, same thing, defensively an absolute mess. He's a horrible left fielder. He and Aaron Judge, I think they compete to see who can take the worst route to the ball, especially when it's down the line. Judge has a phenomenal arm, but his instincts in the outfield are absolutely horrible. Brett Gardner, love the guy to death, but it's, it's time, man. It's time. You know, you did your time as a Yankee. You were the de facto captain. We love you, Brett, but I think it's time to move on. And that's pretty much the, the entirety when it comes to the Yankees, it's time for this team to move on. It's time to get rid of Cashman. It's time to rebuild. I know it's been over 10 years since the Yanks won a World Series. I'm willing to wait another five or 10. We need to rebuild this team. Sanchez has to go. We need a reliable catcher. We have Kyle Higashioka. Put him back there. Keep him back there. Yeah, I believe he's been Garrett Cole's personal catcher, and I can understand why. Because Cole is a strikeout machine, he's a precision pitcher, and he needs a guy who can call a game behind the plate and that's not Gary Sanchez. So every time that coworker of mine at you know tells me hey, you know, Yankees suck. Especially right now I cannot disagree. Right now the Yankees absolutely do suck. Now, we're going to uh, I I'm, I'm turning to a little bit of wrestling talk here for a minute. And I know we've kind of done things a little bit differently on this show cuz I'm so sick and tired of focusing everything on politics that um, I just need to do, it's my show, my rules, my way. So I need to do it my way. Now, if you're a wrestling fan, and obviously you have to be at least somewhat of a wrestling fan or a fan of me and this show in order to be listening to it, but if you're a wrestling fan, by now you've heard about The Forbidden Door. The Forbidden Door is the concept of indie wrestling promotions working together. And right now, we have the greatest example of it. And I believe Tony Khan, the owner of AEW, actually coined the term, term Forbidden Door. Kenny Omega is the AEW, TNA, Impact, and AAA Mega Champion. He's d- using this gimmick called the Belt Collector. I love it. Um, he's done it in the past where he is as many championships as he can possibly get. So he's now the champion in all these different organizations. And the question has always been, well, is he going to defend the Impact Championship on AEW? Is he going to defend the AEW Championship on Impact? Or is this just a gimmick? Well... You know, and I'm not the biggest AEW mark. I, kind of a sidetrack here. I am I like AEW. I can't say it's my favorite American promotion. My favorite American promotion by far is Ring of Honor. But AEW is it, it's gaining respect for me, especially after I read the Young Bucks autobiography, Killing the Business. If you haven't read it yet, I highly suggest it. Fantastic book. You know, the, the story of the Bucks, who in my mind, they're in like the top five best tag teams in the world. The story of the Bucks and especially how they got together with Tony Khan and Kenny Omega and came up with AEW. Great story. So the 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 runaround there is AEW, I'm learning to respect it. And if AEW is going to kind of be the host of this Forbidden Door thing, I can see that working. And I have an idea. Now, Kenny Omega, like I said, he's the AAA Omega champion, TNA Impact, and AEW world champion. So what's next? Well, here's my idea. What about Kenny Omega versus Nick Aldis for the NWA championship? It would be a great way to cross-promote. It would be a great way to cross-brand. The NWA is gaining a lot of momentum, and I'm an NWA guy. I grew up watching, well, I grew up watching all wrestling, but I grew up watching the NWA, and it's always been, to me, the premier championship in North America. And Nick Aldis is a great representation of that nick aldis has that very old school kind of gentlemanly he's got that uh the nick bockwinkle kind of feel to it that's what i really love about nick aldis and he's a fantastic performer the national treasure nick aldis so have that match you know have nick aldis kenny omega all the gold on the line obviously you'd have to have kenny go over you know cheating you know interference by don Callis. whatever you know Interference by Trevor Murdoch, because that's a great little program they're doing. Trevor Murdoch could come down, knock out Nick Aldis, Kenny rolls him up, or hits the One Winged Angel. Boom, he's the champion. But you don't want Kenny holding the belt for too long. You want him to hold it like a month to three months. I think would be a great time. And what that would do is that would give Billy Corgan and the NWA a lot of national exposure because AEW has a huge following among the millennials. So you really want to build the NWA brand, you really want to bring awareness, you got to get it in the hands of the younger fans. Now, for us older fans, those of us who have been around for a while, those of us who remember the glory days of the NWA, and and even if you happen to remember the real glory days, you know, the 60s, 70s, and 80s, then, you know, the, the, the idea of Kenny Omega being the snarky heel champion would appeal to you. And it would bring us the older fans into AEW and into that whole sphere. So it would be very beneficial I think to have Kenny Omega and Nick Aldis because like like I said you, you have the NWA championship that's now going to be exposed to the millennials and you have the AEW championship which is now going to be exposed to my generation, you know, generation X, the baby boomers, our era and it would be a fantastic cross promotion put the belt on Kenny for like 1 to 3 months then have Nick Aldis win it back and then Nick can be the one to transition the NWA title into like the next generation. It, it seems logical to me. And I don't know I I don't know if like Billy Corgan or Tony Khan would ever even consider that but I really think they should. And that would leave, you know, Kenny Omega with only three major championships that he doesn't have. That would be the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, the Ring of Honor Championship, and the WWE Championship, WWE slash Universal Championship, whichever you happen to think is more valid. Now, Kenny Omega has been IWGP Champion, but he hasn't been the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. That, of course, is Will Ospreay, and that would be another phenomenal match. Kenny Omega versus Will Ospreay? Oh my god, come on. You know, set that up for one of the new beginning shows or something like that, or, or maybe even um, set it up for the Wrestle Kingdom show for the January 4th show. It, it, and by the way, I'm still not sold. I have to go sideways a little bit. I'm still not sold on the new IWGP World Heavyweight title design. I understand it's supposed to represent, <clears throat> excuse me, the various eras in New Japan. I, I get the representation on the belt, I'm just not sold on the design. I, and I, I am sure at some point I'll end up a bigger fan of it than I am now. It took me a, a long time to be sold on other championship designs, uh, but I just felt the IWGP IWGP Heavyweight Championship had a, a classic sort of ostentatious feel to it. And This belt, you know, with the little wing design, I don't know, it, it kind of, Reminds me of a combination of the new Intercontinental and United States titles in WWE, and I am not a fan of either one of those. When it comes to the Intercontinental title, the only IC championship design I've ever liked is the the Mr. Perfect, Bret Hart, Texas Tornado belt. And as far as the U.S. title goes, give me the Magnum TA era, you know, the Magnum uh, Nikolai Volkov era belt Dusty Rose held for a few times. That's the, the best United States championship design to me. So Kenny Omega could go over to Japan. He could work with Will Ospreay in a great match. He could go to NWA and work with Nick Aldis in a great match. Would he go to Ring of Honor and work with Roosh? That's a huge question. But it also brings up, as a wrestling fan doing fantasy booking, it brings up another question. Would he go after the Ring of Honor championship, or would he kind of swerve a little bit and go after the pure title? Now, since the pure title was reintroduced and Jonathan Gresham has become the face of Ring of Honor, the pure title means more right now than the Ring of Honor Championship does. And of course, Gresham brings that up in his promos. But for Gresham to be above Roosh, basically in um, in in the view of wrestling fans, again, you have a phenomenal match. And let's just you know fantasy book. Let's fantasy book the shit out of this. Imagine this, if you will. Kenny Omega, Will Ospreay, and either Roosh or, you know, we'll we'll say Jonathan Gresham because I'm more about the pure championship. With all the belts on the line, imagine Kenny Omega walking out, AAA Omega champion, TNA, Impact, AEW, Ring of Honor, NWA, IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Imagine him walking out with seven belts. He'd be like the fucking Oscar de la Hoya of professional wrestling, you know? I think that would be a really cool setup, and of course he'd have to drop those belts almost immediately, but imagine the cover of Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Imagine that picture being Kenny's lasting legacy. I I think it's a great, I think it would be a great booking strategy to get everybody together. And before you say, well, WWE wouldn't be involved, not so fast, because if you haven't heard the comments by Triple H, Vince McMahon is, quote, open to business with anyone. Now, there's been a lot of um, rumor and speculation that that pertains to WWE being bought. And we're seeing some interest, apparently, from NBC Universal in buying WWE. They already have the WWE network on Peacock. So to have them actually owning the company kind of makes sense. But also, it could mean that McMahon is open to be a part of the Forbidden Door. It was at least open to crack when Chris Jericho, who's, you know, AEW's arguably biggest name other than Kenny Omega, shows up on the Broken Skull sessions with Stone Cold Steve Austin. I have yet to see it, but I've seen clips, and they address the fact that Jericho was in a rival organization. And, you know, it kind of gives you hope that there is a possibility of this mega cross-branded show. I mean... Imagine the Tokyo Dome Show or WrestleMania actually being an amalgamation of all the major wrestling companies. It's really exciting, and it's something I think that Vince McMahon and WWE should actually look into. And let's take it a step further. Let's go all the way. One huge match for every one of those major championships, including either the WWE or the Universal Championship. If you're a longtime wrestling fan, that should actually give you chills. The possibility is there. The like the likelihood is not, but the possibility is there. And I just think, right now, wrestling has an opportunity to really branch out, become unified. And Kenny Omega, man, right now, he's the biggest name in the business. And if he does end up going after, say, Will Ospreay or Roosh or Jonathan Gresham or, you know, somehow working out a deal to go after one of the WWE championships, I think think that would be the biggest payday possibly in the history of the sport. Okay, we are wrapping up this week on the Terry Wilkerson Show. Thank you, as always, for joining us. The Terry Wilkerson Show is a production of 1975 Podcast Productions, a 1028 Media Production. Go to www.terrywilkerson.com for more information. You can find me on Twitter, on Parler, on uh, MeWe. Most of the major social media is still on Facebook. And, of course, we have our Rumble, Rumble channel, And find us anywhere you download your fine podcast content, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and, of course, our home podcast platform of Anchor.fm. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and if you're on iTunes, give us a five-star rating. And we will see you next time on The Terry Wilkerson Show. Till all are one.